Well, welcome to week two of uh, Make Your Marriage Awesome. And uh, have any of you ever had a fight like that, fight like that right before bed, right? I mean, you know the challenges that it can produce. And so uh, we're going to talk all about that today. Uh, but right inside your bulletin should be some message notes. If you want to go ahead and grab those out and you can fill in the blanks and follow along and you can take that with you today. We also want to say welcome to those of you watching in the parent viewing room. Uh, that's a great option as well. If you have little ones that get fussy during the service, just pass our donuts and coffee. There's a room there you can watch the whole service live with us. Well, if you weren't here last week, we talked all about learning to, everyone with me? Everybody with me? One more time for everybody in the back three rows that did not say anything. Believe the best instead of Right, so how are we doing on that this week? Are we doing good, right? We're doing better at that? Um, you know, I was talking to somebody, I said, you know, how's it going? And they said, well, man, I've been able to point this out to my spouse several times about how they're not <laughs> believing the best in me. And I said, well, that might be backfiring, I'm not sure. Uh, but if you missed last week, you're going to want to catch up online. It was a very important talk uh, when it comes to our marriages. And this week, we want to answer the question, how do we turn failures in our marriage into strengths? How do we turn failures into strength? Because if you've been married longer than a honeymoon, uh, you know that failures are going to pop up. There's going to be times that you fail your spouse. Anybody ever failed your spouse? Anybody ever failed? Anybody ever made a mistake? Anybody hurt your spouse, hurt feelings, right? We've all been there. Some are big failures. Some are small failures. But we all have this in common, that we fail. I mean, when you think about this, you put two people together who are totally different biologically and emotionally, and you put them in the same house for 50 years, and you just expect it's going to be nothing but total bliss? <laughs> I don't think so, right? I mean, there's just no way that that is going to work out every single time and every single day and every single year. There's going to be issues that arise. And what do we do when those issues arise? What do we do with that failure? Well, I believe we have the opportunity in every single relationship to either fall backwards, fail backwards, I'm sorry, or fail forwards. We can either fail backwards or fail forwards. But first, I would love it if we could all just come to this one conclusion. Could we just agree that we're all kind of messed up on some level, right? All of us have broken parts. All of us have issues in our lives. Even if you don't think someone has issues, they have issues, all right? No one's perfect. There's not a relationship that's perfect. There's not a marriage that's perfect. Every relationship faces hard times. And so this is your very first fill-in. And here's the truth that every one of us need a Savior who can help put the broken parts of us back together. Without Christ at the center of your life, it's hard to become what you need to for your spouse. We all need a Savior because we're all broken. Our relationships are flawed. And we need Christ at the center. Look what Jesus said in John 15, 5. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do, what's that word? You can do what? You can do what? You can do nothing. You can do nothing apart from Jesus, which means this, that in our relationships, if we don't have Christ at the center, if we don't have a Savior in our lives, it means we can't love right, it means we can't forgive right, it means we can't grow right together, on and on and on. We can do nothing apart from him. And I believe that one of the biggest reasons that we need to be connected in Christ is so that we can follow his pattern of forgiveness. And this is your next fill-in. When you begin to think about how much Christ has forgiven you for, it opens our capacity to forgive our spouse more. Oh, that rhymes. I didn't even know it. <laughs> that kind of rhymes. Christ forgiven you for, it opens 
our capacity to forgive our spouse more. It does rhyme. <laughs> well, you know, I should be a rhymer or a poem person. I don't, what is that? I don't know what that's called. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I should just leave that alone. Maybe I shouldn't. Right? When we understand how much Christ has forgiven us, it opens our capacity to now extend that forgiveness to someone else. Aren't you glad that Christ wasn't one and done with you? Aren't you glad that the first time you messed up or made a mistake, he didn't be like, well, I guess that's it. Sorry, I'm done with you, right? Imagine that. I mean, we would have been done a long time ago. But look what Lamentations 3.22 says. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God is giving us this picture, and I want you to remember that every time you wake up, every time you see that sunrise, I want you to be reminded that my compassions are brand new for you, that my mercy is new for you, that my grace is new for you. And now, that same pattern, I want you to extend to your spouse. He'd have us extend that one to another, that faithful compassion, that faithful mercy, that faithful forgiveness towards our spouse. So here's a question. Do we believe in God's restoration in our own lives? Do we believe that? That God's able to take us from this path and put us on another path? Do we believe that he's able to forgive our sins and give us new hope and new life? And if we believe that, then I would argue that the same can happen inside of our marriages and inside of our relationships. That God can restore it. Even though our marriage was going this direction, it can now go this direction. And even though our relationships used to be on this path, it can now be on a brand new path with Christ as our model and our, as our example. And I believe so much, in fact, this, your next villain, I believe that God has given you your spouse as another force of sanctification in your life. As another force of sanctification in your life. Sanctification is just a big fancy word for becoming more like God, right? Becoming more holy and understanding his plan and direction for our lives and walking in the fullness of that. You see, God wants you to be more like him, right, all the time. And is it possible that God has put your spouse in your life to help flesh out some of the things you need to work on so that you can become more like God, right? We, we don't always like to think of that, that our spouse could be in that role, but oftentimes they are. They're there. And the reason is, is that our spouses, I mean, no one knows our issues and our flaws like our spouses, right? Right? I mean, like, if my wife came up here and told you, and, and you said, like, what's one constant frustration, right? She would tell you this, she, and this, this is kind of an ongoing thing that I'm continuing to work on, is that, like, if I'm in the middle of something, like, I'm reading the newspaper, or reading a book, or I'm watching the news, or doing something on my phone, right, and she comes in and starts talking to me, right, I make this fatal error that, I don't know, maybe other guys in this room make as well. Every time, I don't know why, I just assume that I am gifted enough to do two things at once. I, I, but we know that God has not created men this way, all right? We, we know that this is true. Men cannot do two things at one time. And so what I do is I continue to listen and do what I'm doing, and then I say, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Oh, someone said, get your preach on, all right? Uh-huh, 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 right? And then everything's going great until she asks the question, what did I just say? Then the wheels come off fast. See, my stomach just gets knots just thinking about it, right? Some of you are nervous as I'm telling this story because you can identify with me, right? And then I just try to, like, throw out some vague, like, try to, like, some words that maybe I thought she used, and I'll just try to, like, form it together, and it's like, a, it's like the casserole of, like, everything I thought she just said. And then she's like, no, that wasn't even close, right? And then we have to talk about me not listening and I'm not validating her or something like that. I don't know. I wasn't listening, but I, I'm kidding. That was a joke. Right? 
But I often fail in that way, and I'm bad at that. I'm so bad at thinking I can do two things at once, and I can't. But you know what? I mean, my wife knows my flaws and my issues better than anybody else. And so does your spouse. And no one sees it as close as they do. But what if God has put your spouse in your life in part to help work out those issues in your life? The flaws in your life. If that's true, it should cause us to lean into that relationship more than leaning out and being defensive, right? Because that's, I mean, that's kind of our first. I was listening. What are you talking about? I don't listen to you. I validate you all the time, right? Instantly, we want to become defensive rather than just leaning in and saying, you know what, you're, you're right. I'm terrible at that. And I need to get better at listening. And I need to get better at stopping what I'm doing and validating what you're saying. And the truth is, is that if your spouse sees it, it's probably true, is it not? Right? Well, none of my friends tell me that. Well, of course they don't, right? Because they're, like, nice. I mean, they don't want to be rude to you, Right? But it's true. If our spouse is usually true, but it's hard when you're self-centered and you want to win the argument. We want to win the argument. And some of us have gotten so used to the arguments, like when we failed each other, we just jump in. And I don't know if this is like it for you, but like if Tara and I just kind of start getting into it, my first temptation is to think of my next one-liner while she's talking, right? I'm not even listening to what she's saying. I'm just trying to think of my rebuttal in my head so that I can, when I get my next turn to talk, that I can win this argument. Sometimes we get so used to the argument that we start to view our spouse as the enemy. The truth is, your next villain is that our spouse is never the enemy. The devil is. Our spouse is never the enemy. The devil is. Oh, Ryan, aren't you kind of over-spiritualizing it a little bit? Well, look what Ephesians 6.12 says. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Can I tell you that the devil wants nothing more than for your relationship to break up? He wants nothing more than for your marriage to dissolve because he knows if he can dissolve the marriage, he can dissolve the family. His goal is to break your family up. His goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his goal. But God wants us to grow in love so that we can win. We can win in relationships, and we can turn those failures and the times that we let each other down into strengths. And when those strengths happen, suddenly our relationship can be on a whole new path. And so with that in mind, I just want to take a few minutes today to talk about some super practical ways that you can turn failure into strength by creating a healthy relationship. Everyone say healthy relationship. Healthy relationship. Perfect. So here it is. Are you ready to go? You got your pens? Here we go. Healthy couples learn to fight clean and focus on resolution, while unhealthy couples fight dirty and focus on winning the fight. They fight dirty, and they focus on just winning the fight. You see, fighting clean, clean means that we don't take jabs at each other. In the heat of the moment, we're not low, right, lowballing each other and just calling each other names or we're threatening divorce or I'm going to leave you, right? Fighting clean doesn't mean that we take everything from our past that's ever hurt us and bring it back into the fight and, well, you did this and I knew it and I told her and I knew you could never, right? And suddenly it begins to take on this very um, destructive tone, doesn't it? We can't focus on trying to just win the fight because when one person wins, the truth is you both lose. You both lose in that relationship. So your next feeling, focusing on resolution means we slow down 
take a deep breath and try to understand where the other person is coming from. We slow down, take a deep breath to get into their shoes, to try to understand what they're feeling and thinking. See, we're so busy trying to win the argument sometimes that we've not taken ourselves and put ourselves in their shoes. What is it like to be married to me? That's a tough job, right? You could probably say the same for you. You may not be the easiest person to live with. Have you ever thought of that? Right? Have you ever thought that you might have some issues and some things going on in your world that make it difficult to be married to you and do life with you and live under the same roof as you? Right? How do we work towards resolution? We get in the other person's shoes and try to feel what they're feeling and think what they're thinking. Because remember, like we talked about last week, we're both on the same team. Focus on resolution because we're on the same team. Here we go, next one. Healthy couples learn to talk. Unhealthy couples try to walk. Healthy couples learn to walk. Unhealthy couples try to walk. There's that rhyming again. There it is. Have you ever been tempted to quit on your relationship? Anyone ever, right? How many honest people do we have in the room this morning? Anyone ever felt tempted to quit on your relationship? Okay, so just me and like two others. All right, so that's good, right? Anyone ever felt like quitting this week? right? Or maybe on the way to church this morning, right? You had one of those drive-ins, right? And you're like, oh, now we have to act like everything's wonderful, you know? It's just true. It's our human nature. But look what James 1.19 says. What a great instruction for all of us. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this, that everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Everyone say, slow down. Yeah, you got to kind of say it like that, dude. Slow down, right? We have to slow down. But man, we're, we're quick to become angry sometimes, right? Like we said last week, sometimes our fuse isn't very short because of past history in our own relationships with mom and dad or maybe other boyfriend, girlfriend, or other relationships. Something's happened and we bring those triggers into marriage with us. And sometimes it doesn't take much to set us off. But James is saying, listen, slow down. Be, be slow to become angry. Slow down. Slow to speak. Quick to listen. Because it's important, your next feeling, that we learn the difference between responding and reacting. It's important that we understand the difference between responding and reacting. Sometimes in the heat of the, of, the, of the moment or when we're faced with that failure or when we've been let down and even though our heart is kind of racing and we're all jacked up, the best thing we can do is just take 10 and just step back and not react. I don't want to react out of emotion. I don't want to react out of anger, but I want to respond. There's a big difference, isn't there? And I want to step back. I want to take 10 and just learn to respond in a way that would be honoring to God. Look at this, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Right? Paul's saying, hey, it's, it, it's okay to be angry at times. Sometimes you are justifiably right in your anger. But he says, in that anger, don't do something that's now going to cross the line into sin. Don't say something that you shouldn't say. Don't do something you shouldn't do. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Right? Big difference between responding and reacting. Don't react out of anger, but respond out of respect, recognizing that we're both on the same team. We both want the same thing at the end of the day that we can hold the hands in the nursing home when it's all said and done eating jello together, right? I mean, that's the end goal, is it not? 
for us to live a life that was just amazing and honored God, and then we can end up in the nursing home together. How do we respond? Out of respect and love, because we're on the same team. I mean, it doesn't mean that we either sweep it under the rug either, or just ignore it, or just go to bed angry. As he's admonishing us, don't go to bed while you're still angry. Right? Don't go to bed. I remember a couple years ago, Tara and I, we were so mad. I mean, we were like in this big fight, and we were like, okay, Ephesians 4, man, we are not going to bed, right? And I mean, this was an intense argument, and we were up for like five straight days. It was like intense. It was like, we cannot go to bed until we figure this out. We're going to be biblical and honor God, and we were up for five. That was a joke. I'm just kidding. It wasn't we were up. But don't go to bed angry. Why does, why does the Bible say don't go to bed angry? Because he's saying, I want you to take the time to respond, to work it out together. Because when you do so, sometimes you wake up more angry. Sometimes you say, we're not going to deal with it. And you know what you've just done? You've just now allowed the enemy to put a wedge in your relationship. And as slight as that might be, that wedge, those wedges start to add up, don't they? And suddenly you hear people say, I don't know, we just fell out of love. I don't know, we just grew apart. Could it be that the, en- the enemy of our souls was driving wedges in our relationship that we weren't keen to and aware of? Because we weren't quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry and say we're going to respond instead of react because we know if we do these things that God would be honored with it and it's going to help our relationship. The next thing in your notes, healthy couples, your last thing, healthy couples learn to let go of offense through forgiveness. Unhealthy couples keep a record of wrongs through unforgiveness. Healthy couples learn to let go of the offense through forgiveness. We talked a little bit about this last week, right? About how some of our ability to go through the mental file of our catalog of everything our spouse has ever done wrong, and we pull out that one card from like 12 years ago, and you remember in vivid detail everything they did to upset you, right? And you just, you have it neatly, and you can present it to them and say, look at how you hurt me that so long ago. Unhealthy couples do that. Healthy couples Learn to let go of offenses through forgiveness. Let me ask you a question. How often do you keep track of everything your spouse is doing right? How often? See, we're not very good at that, are we? And you think to yourself, well, You know, everything he's doing right, I'm already expecting. So, like, when they do it, I'm already expecting it. What do they want? An award, right? Congratulations. You already did what I expected you to do, right? That's how we operate. But if they do something wrong and it's against our expectations, then suddenly we're going to start keeping track and we're going to write it down and we've got this list and we keep a little note in our phone and here on this date and this time, this person, right? But how often do we keep a record of what they're doing right Because I believe that if there was enough good in the beginning to marry, there's got to be enough good somewhere to stay married. To work through it. Well, Ryan, 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 you don't know my relationship. I'd rather be with somebody that doesn't let me down so often. Right? Aren't you glad that God didn't say that about you? I'm glad he didn't say that about me. Say, well, you've let me down again. I want to be done with you. But what if we became really good at receiving grace and extending grace? Since we're on the same team and we both want the same things. What if we became really good at that? Because both are necessary to make it work. Well, Ryan, this is great for like, you know, the whole toilet seat thing. And this is good for like, he leaves his underwear all over the floor and socks all over the floor. And they don't make the bed. And, you know, they're always stealing the cup or whatever it might be. I don't know what you fight about. But Ryan, what about like a big offense? What about when there's been an affair? 
What if there's been addiction? What if there's been, you fill in the blank. You fill in the blank, whatever it was. What about those kinds of things? And this is what I believe. That when there is true repentance of sin, and Christ is in the middle, there is nothing that you cannot work through together. There is nothing that you can't work through together. And this means that the offender must take responsibility for their actions, humble themselves, and ask for forgiveness of you and God. And once that genuine action takes place, restoration and forgiveness can begin its process. I'm not talking about a pattern. I'm not talking about, you know, they've cheated on me four times and they keep saying, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when someone has made a mistake and they're genuinely repentant and saying, you know what, I blew it. Because the truth is that oftentimes failures is more about that individual than it is about you as the spouse. And even though we hurt and even though we grieve and even though we feel the pain of it, the truth of the matter is, is that if there is repentance, there's nothing you can't get through together. Your next fill-in. I believe that there is no failure that's bigger than grace. There's no failure that's bigger than grace. Nothing in a relationship has to destroy that relationship if forgiveness is in the picture. See, forgiving your spouse means humbling yourself to identify with your spouse who is experiencing life in a way that is less than what either of you hoped for. It means in the middle of it, I want to reach down and help them. Your next fill-in forgiveness means you give up all demands for your spouse to be something they aren't at the moment and you reach down to help them up. You reach down to help them up. Why? Because you're on the same team. Just like you would help a teammate up off the turf. You help your spouse up when they have failed. Right? You begin to work towards reconciliation and forgiveness. And you see, this is what God does. Even though that he has a stronger position than us, even though he has a higher moral position than us, he never uses those things to hurt us, but always to help us. It's always redemptive. And it's always towards reconciliation. And that is what God would have us extend to one, one to another. And when we do that, we can turn those failures into strengths. When we operate the way that he operates towards us, Colossians 3 gives us just a great picture of what it means to be in this relationship in marriage. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves, right? He gives us this image of wearing something. Put these things on in your relationship. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. What a picture. What a picture for us to follow. See, although if we were honest, our natural response when we're hurt is to react, isn't it, instead of respond. And our heart gets hardened real quick when we feel like we've been slighted or someone's done is something against us. But Christ instructs us to respond, not react, and to put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness. And I just believe that there's nothing 
beyond the healing power and redemptive work of Jesus Christ. And so I would say this, that if you feel like hope is lost in your relationship, don't give up yet. God is able to take your marriage that was on this path and he's able to put it on a new path. But I think inside of us, there's gotta be this, this thing in us, this dogmatic attitude that just says, I'm not giving up. I'm not gonna give up on my marriage. I'm not, I mean, we said till death do us part, right? For better or for worse, for richer, for poorer. I mean, we prefer the richer, right? The richer or poorer. Sickness and health, we're in it together. Why don't you watch this video real quick and then uh, we'll wrap up today. My friends tell me I'm torturing myself. It never gets easier. I thought I'd be used to it by now. That my heart would be calloused, hardened, immune to this torture. But it's not. It still hurts. After you, get you back. All is forgiven. All is forgotten. But each time it gets worse. It feels like death. My friends tell me I'm torturing myself. That it's not worth it. That you're not worth it. That I'm chasing a dream of what once was.
don't have a choice, but I still choose you. something inside of you that would say, you know what, no matter what, we're in it. And I won't stop loving and I won't stop forgiving because when you make that kind of commitment, that's when you start to turn failures into strength. That's when you turn failures into strength. Your very last feeling, failure is an opportunity to learn more about each other's weaknesses, which actually become a strength. It's an opportunity to learn more about each other's weaknesses. And how is that a strength? Because now there's two of us looking out for you and us. Some of us are so afraid to reveal our weaknesses and our flaws because we're afraid of rejection. But God has created marriage to be as in such a, to be strong in such a way that would say that even in spite of your flaws and even in spite of your weaknesses and in spite of everything you've got going on as far as weaknesses. I still choose you. And for Tara and I, we determined a long time ago that the word divorce was not going to be in our vocabulary. We weren't going to joke about it. We weren't going to threaten each other with it. That we're in this thing for the long haul. Divorce is not an option for us. And when you face failure and when you face hard times, it's going to be that kind of resolve that keeps your marriage strong like 1 Peter 4.8 that says love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. And I always tell couples when I'm sitting down and they're struggling in their relationship, I say, I just want you to take a step back and look at the big picture here. And I know there's been failures and I know you're upset. I know if you're upset. But even if it took you two years to work through this and seek forgiveness and resolution and you worked hard at it, you still have the best 20, 30, or 40 years of your marriage in front of you. Imagine if God could take the weaknesses and turn it into strength, like as a broken bone that heals itself together back again that's stronger than it ever was before. That's what God can do. He can take those failures and turn them into strengths. I want to encourage you, if you're in a spot where you're struggling, seek out counseling. I like to tell people a lot these days, I believe way more now in postmarital counseling than I do in premarital counseling. I mean, premarital, you're like, hey, everything's wonderful. The sky's always blue. You could never do anything wrong, right? And then you get in marriage, you get in the trenches, and you realize, holy cow, you're messed up, <laughs> right? Oh, wow, I'm more messed up than I thought. That's when you need some counseling. Don't give the enemy a foothold. Don't let him drive wedges in your relationship. If you need some help, seek it out. Don't wait till crisis mode. I truly believe that every couple could do well to do some counseling every couple years. Every couple could do well with that because we always have stuff to work on. So will we let the enemy tear apart what God has put together? Or will we let God take our failures and the failures of our spouse, spouse and turn them into strength in our relationship? And that's all up to us. And I truly believe that it always comes back to this, that Christ has to be at the center. And if he's never been the center of your life, today you can pray and make Christ the center of your life. And if you've never prayed for him to be the center of your marriage, you can pray for that too. But beyond a prayer, it requires a conversation between you and your spouse to say, what would this look like for 
Jesus to be the center of our marriage and our relationship. Because it's in that that all the broken things can become whole. I know how many times things get broken, we fail each other. Christ is the one that brings us back together. So would you mind just closing your eyes all over this room as we get ready to pray today? And I just want us to take about 30 seconds for you to talk to God and God to talk to you. We believe here at Riverway that God can speak to us. It won't be an audible voice, but he'll speak right to our hearts. And the truth is, I don't know where you're at. I don't know where your relationship's at or what your hopes and dreams are, but you do. And I believe that God's faithful to start talking about some of those things right now to your heart. Maybe some things that you need to respond with. Maybe it's saying a prayer to make Christ the leader of your life right now. Maybe it's a prayer to make him the center of your marriage. Maybe it's praying for a spouse that doesn't believe and isn't here this morning. So I don't know where you're at, but just 30 seconds. Between you and God, let's do that right now. truly in our heart we want you to be the center of not only our lives but our relationships and if we haven't done that God give us the strength and the courage to make those kind of choices because if we're honest and when we're faced with failures it's so much easier to tuck and run than it is to stand and resolve And I pray that you would put inside of every one of us today a fighting spirit. That say, God, we want to honor our vows. And for better or worse, we want to serve each other. We want to help each other out of that weak spot and strengthen each other to be on the same team. God, forgive us for the plenty of times that we've blown this. When when we've reacted instead of responded, when we've walked instead of talked show us how to do it better by your spirit remind us even in the immediate emotion of it all remind us by your spirit what it means to clothe ourselves with compassion and kindness and grace and forgiveness as you have shown to us so show us how to do that better and it's in your name we pray and everyone said